Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I'm sitting here with Tom Doran. Tom, the Lord be with you. And also with you. No, Tom, you failed already. You have failed the oh, test. Oh, man. <laughs> That's we right. we got to get everybody's were, attention out there. <laughs> okay, and to. with your spirit. Very good. All Very right. good. So we're going to talk today about we've got some changes coming. Looking forward to it. Yeah, sounds exciting. And so we want to talk a little bit about what's going on with Mass a lot Good of people topic. think that um, everything's set in stone, and that's what we're going to work with. But a lot of things are fluid, and we want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the Mass. And we thought we'd bring someone in here who's an expert. Great idea. Yeah. Well, okay, he's making a face. <laughs> he doesn't believe he's an expert. <laughs> it's Monsignor. Sure he is. Actually, it's Monsignor Victor Shamataro, but uh, last time you were with us, you were father, but you've graduated, have yeah. you not? They've upped me a little bit, yes. Very good. Well, we are so proud and happy to have uh, Monsignor Victor here with us. And Monsignor, now I jokingly called you an expert, but I think you would be an expert compared to me. You are very well read, and uh, and you're a priest, and that helps. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the changes that are coming in our our mass and the in the words that we say in our liturgy. And first, I guess maybe we ought to do is make people aware of where do these words come from in the first place? Where do we get the words that the priest will say, for instance, during the Eucharistic prayer? Not necessarily their historical origins, but what's he reading out of? He's reading out of the sacramentary, which is the part of the Roman Missal, which has the parts which the priest prays at the altar. All right, you just said Roman Missal. What's the Roman Missal? The Roman Missal is the official book for the liturgy of all the Catholics of the Roman Rite. There are 22 rites in the Roman of the of the Catholic Church. The largest is the Roman Rite to which we belong in the West. But uh, that liturgy was in Latin, and the Roman Missal is the uh, English form of that Latin Missal that has been part of our tradition for many hundreds of years. It's why you can go to Mass and pretty much any place, and you're going to hear pretty much the same thing on, on any given day. Now, exactly. There are exceptions at times, but, but in reality, they're reading from that same text. And as you say, it was promulgated in Latin, and so that's where we'll hear Massali Romanum, right? That's the, the Latin. That's the Latin uh, term, yes. Right, and so, uh, so promulgated in Latin, so this is the church's universal language. Right. And it just really means that we're all singing off the same hymnal, as it were. Well, that's what they want us to do, yes. Exactly right. So now the idea that there's a translation, the idea that we we don't pray in Latin, uh, we can pray in Latin, but in the English language we have a translation. So it's got to get from the Latin to the English, right? And so that's, that's been a process that's been going on for quite some time now, is it not? Since the Second Vatican Council, when it was decreed in the document on the sacred liturgy called Sacrosanctum Concilium, that uh, liturgy could be uh, celebrated in the vernacular. And so immediately after that, translations were made of the Latin into the various languages and promulgated throughout the world. But they don't have like a big magic black box that they can just like on one side feed in Latin and on the other side it spits out the perfect English translation, do they? No, no. Yeah, in fact, they have to choose things. There's different ways... And I don't want to get into two technical terms or whatnot, but there's dynamic equivalence and there's formal equivalence, two different ways of 
of taking one text in this language and basically bringing that text into another language, you can do it in a dynamic fashion or a formal fashion. What's the difference between those two fashions? Well, the dynamic equivalent says, let's try to say in English basically what it says in Latin, but we may not use the same words. And taking into account uh, local cultural expressions and, and uh, idiomatic things, is that what dynamic includes or may have included? Or in, in some cases, it may uh, decide not to use terms that are used in Latin because they're not part of our ordinary everyday English way of speaking. And that would be contrasted to formal equivalence, which really focuses in specifically on what that word in Latin would mean in English. Exactly. So that the, the, what the church wants is everybody throughout the world to be praying the same prayers. And if the translations are not uh, in keeping with the original Latin like they should be, then, um, then we're not praying the same way. We have a... a a statement in Latin called lex credendi, lex orandi, that what we believe, the law that we believe, is the law that we pray. So that if we want people to to believe correctly, then we should pray correctly. Right. And when you say correctly, really we're trying to pray the same text that everyone else in the world. I mean, we are a universal church, and we want to make sure that we're all praying the same thing. That's correct. And so if we're in, let's say, the United States of America, and we're praying using words that have a different meaning than words that would be used in another culture, another country, anywhere else, even within the United States, then there can be confusion about uh, the doctrines, the teachings, and, and what is intended to be taking place at a Mass. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so what we ought to do is maybe look at a few examples of things that are that are changing so that people understand what kind of stuff... Uh, is going to change. And first and foremost, one of the things I think that's going to make people notice the most right off the bat that something's changing is when uh, the priest would say, the Lord be with you. Now, in Latin, that's dominus vobiscum, which, pardon my my Latin uh, uh, dialect, I'm sure it's not as good as it should be. But dominus vobiscum basically means the Lord be with you, right? And the priest would say this before the people, greet them with this. And then the people would respond... Et cum spiritu tuo. Et cum spiritu tuo, which is basically... And with your spirit. And with your spirit. Now, we have, for the last 40 years or whatever, has said, and also with you. And when you hear the Lord be with you, the instant response, I mean, it's almost autonomic. Your body just spits back out and also with you. It's what we have. We've made it that, and we've made it part of our 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 praise, right? When we hear that phrase, we instantly say, the Lord be with you and also with you. It's become the same thing, which is not really what the Latin is saying. No, the Latin says, and with your spirit. And uh, there's uh, a little bit of theological underpinning for this that maybe we should understand. The greeting is an apostolic greeting. It goes back to St. Paul in his epistles. We you know, the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Um, these are greetings, and and so these and during the liturgy, only the deacon and the priest, uh, or the bishop, is allowed to use these apostolic greetings. And the people respond, and with your spirit. And the purpose being to the deacon who's reading the gospel, or to the priest who's beginning the Eucharistic prayer, 
or greeting the congregation at the beginning of the liturgy, and with your spirit so that you may be able, as the leader of this worship, uh, to be one with Christ in granting us all the graces, uh, the sacramental uh, elements being changed, everything that happens, that Christ is uh, in you, working through you for us. Which is precisely why uh, the church requires that only an ordained person would say, the Lord be with you exactly. and with your spirit. That would, mm-hmm. that would, un- that would make sense then that, that the people would pray that we want the Holy Spirit to be working in you and with you so that you'll be able to, to, to perform the sacred duties that you've been appointed to do, to minister to us. Exactly. Right. And so the problem has become, though, I think people see the end and also with you, and they, they it, it's like you're taking away this, this sort of personal, uh, this opportunity for them to say, uh, you know, the, the priest says, the Lord be with you, and oh, and you too, Father. We love you so much, Father. It's almost like a, an exchange of, of waves, uh, you see, and it's less formal in that way, isn't it? Yeah, we like we like priests to be groovy, you know. <laughs> we like you know. and Monsignor Victor is a very groovy. He's groovy, priest. there's no doubt. Uh, Father Groovy up there, you know, he's he's really turning everybody on with his dramatic way. But this is the church's liturgy. It's not uh, doesn't belong to the one who's uh, doing it. There's a unity with the liturgy of the whole church, so that the priest. And the deacon who are acting uh, in the in the role of leader in the liturgy uh, should be uh, doing what the church wants, not what they want. It's not about the personality of the priest or yeah. the deacon. We look again uh, at the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1343. Let me read this briefly. It was above all on the first day of the week, Sunday, day of Jesus' resurrection, that the Christians met to break bread. From that time on down to our own day, the celebration of the Eucharist has been continued so that today we encounter it everywhere in the church with the same fundamental structure. It remains the center of the church's life. And if if you call the Mass the center of the church's life, it's all the more important that we use the right words, that we, we understand what we're saying and what we're praying so that the right actions, so the right things take place so that we then are nourished with the grace that comes from from the Eucharistic celebration. Exactly. There's something that we Catholics understand about the sacraments. The sacraments are the continuing touch of Christ. Christ touched the people. He healed them, forgave their sins. The sacraments are all the continued touch of Christ through through touch, through oil, through um, laying on of hands, whatever it might be, that the continued uh, touch of Christ. But the Eucharist is different because this is where we encounter Christ himself. And uh, so six of the sacraments are the touch of Christ. One of the sacraments, the Eucharist, is Christ himself giving himself to us. Wonderful. So we need to now, let's take a little break. Uh, Before we do that, I want to uh, remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Uh, and also would like you to email me. Uh, send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history.
Imagine a world full of sin, moral degradation, political corruption, divorce and remarriage, pornography, abortion, and immoral lifestyles. While it might be true that these descriptors aptly apply to our modern world, this is actually the way of life in Rome in the mid-6th century. And this is precisely the time when a humble Benedictine monk named Gregory was elected Pope. Pope St. Gregory the Great had a monumental task before him. How would he rebuild and refocus the people of Rome, and indeed the whole of the Christian Church, into a culture of love, faith, and appreciation of eternal, unchanging truth? After much prayer, and with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his battle plan was incredibly simple. He would turn the people of Rome from sin by building up in them a sense of the sacred. And one of the primary ways he would do this was with the sacred liturgy, the public prayer and worship of the church. He began significant, determined work on the liturgy in measured increments. St. Gregory said, He who would climb to a lofty height must go by steps, not leaps. His effect on the liturgy was profound and long-lasting. He composed many beautiful mass formularies, which are gathered into a sacramentary attributed to him. He founded a school of sacred music. Tradition tells us that it was he, St. Gregory, who gave us the final revision and arrangement of the Roman canon, the first Eucharistic prayer used in Holy Mass. It has been practically unchanged since his time, and it is used to this very day. And who hasn't heard of Gregorian chant? Those attending Mass in St. Gregory's time could see in its eloquence and beauty a higher calling to the living of a moral life built upon the truths of the Catholic faith. And he did this by directing those in his care to a sense of the sacred. Even John Paul II recognized that one way to positively affect the modern church is through her liturgy. He said, A very close and organic bond exists between the renewal of the liturgy and the renewal of the whole life of the church. The church not only acts, but also expresses herself in the liturgy and draws from the liturgy the strength for her life. As we ponder what is needed in our time to regain that sense of the sacred, perhaps we may learn a bit from Pope St. Gregory the Great. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. I'm uh, still sitting here with Monsignor Victor Shamataro. And Monsignor, uh, you know, the unfortunate thing about us changing, the one thing I can see that's a downside of us changing uh, some of the words that we're using in our liturgy uh, is in that phrase, the Lord be with you, and losing that and also with you. Now I can't tell one of my favorite liturgical jokes, and that's where the priest comes to the microphone in his parish and he says, there's something wrong with this microphone, and everyone responds, and also with you. you know. <laughs> so I can't, we can't use that anymore because it won't make, it'd be as funny yeah. then anymore, will it? So, Monsignor, we should continue talking about this, uh, this concept of um, the, this, this is the third edition that's, uh, that's coming out. And we're using some text here uh, as example text, but we don't know 100% that those are actually going to be the text. These are close... Uh, well, they're they're pretty far along in the translation process, but until we actually get that final version, we don't know, do we, what we're going to be uh, what we're going to be praying, do we? 
I think we pretty much uh, are aware of, of most of the things that will affect the people. Uh, there may be some things. See, the bishops had made recommendations, and then those recommendations were, were put into the final draft or, uh, that's going to be given to the printers. I guess folks need to realize this is a back-and-forth yes. process. It's mm-hmm. not just uh, some ivory tower or something that's tossed out the window and then we are to ex- accept it. Well, in certain things that we do, but but this is a, a church, and, and the bishops obviously play a very vital and important role as shepherds of their individual dioceses to make sure that uh, things are going to work there. And, and so we want to have that. There's an interchange, is there not, a, a, a dialogue between them in terms of what is um, uh, what maybe the proper wording might be. The original translation was made by experts and then given to the bishops, and the bishops made recommendations that went back to Rome. And then in Rome... These were uh, either accepted or rejected. And then we have the final translation uh, that goes to the printer. And uh, my understanding is that we're at that final phase right. of this. So the, the, the text, that you, you can find them online in various places, and you'll be able to see if you want to to find out what uh, what folks are. In fact, if you go to uh, the, uh, the website www.usccb.org, slash Roman Missal, you'll actually find uh, the proposed text, and they're pretty far along in the translation process, so you can pretty much bet that most of these words are, are what we'll be praying. Um, now, there's a lot of things that, that will impact um, individual parishioners, and some things that won't impact them to the degree where they have to say new words, but they'll be hearing new words. For instance, in uh, the Eucharistic prayers that the priest will say, um, one of the beautiful examples of what we're talking about, uh, why we're making these changes, is just at the beginning of Eucharistic prayer number three. And I want to read what we've been saying is, Father, you are holy indeed, and all creation rightly gives you praise. All life, all holiness comes from you through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, by the working of the Holy Spirit. From age to age you gather a people to yourself, so that from east to west a perfect offering may be made to the glory of your name. Now, I know most of you listening probably could have done that by memory because we've heard it so many times for so many years. Now, that's changing a bit, and some of the words that we're going to hear now will be, You are indeed holy, O Lord. And all you have created rightly gives you praise for, through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Now, I don't know about you, Tom, but that second one sounds just so much more beautiful. It does. And and it makes me think that maybe we're not... This is not some common prayer like we're giving thanks for a cheeseburger sitting in front of us right. here at the Catholic Cafe. But this is something bigger, isn't it, Father? Oh, yes. Uh, we want to be inspired by the prayers that we say in the Mass. And uh, I think the new translation will help to do that. So in that being more literal, that more formal equivalence, that more formal translation process, really what we're doing is we're uniting ourselves to the words as they were originally intended. Exactly. And so then, and if we if we believe our church, if we trust our church, if we if we trust that Jesus had the right thing uh, in mind when he when he founded this church, then I think that we ought to take the words that come from the church and pray them and, and believe them, uh, uh, believe that they'll they'll be much more efficacious if we really are, if they're inspiring, as you said. Exactly. We we need to be inspired. 
in, in, in the poesy of the new translation, and we speak of the rising of the sun to its setting, that, that evokes images. From east to west invokes no images, but the rising of the sun to its setting evokes images, so that in our praying we see the wonders of God. We see his creation, and, you know, you are holy indeed, and this God who has given us everything that we have, and is now we are talking to. And we, we feel like we're talking to him in the new translation. And that's that's true. And there are also some wonderful um, other connectivity that we have in this new translation where we'll actually be more scriptural, won't we? Where Definitely. We'll actually mm-hmm. see more allusions to scripture. Definitely. For instance, when we say, Lord, I am not worthy, we say right now, we say, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Mm-hmm. And in this new translation, we'll say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. We're going back to the original words of the centurion. Right. Who spoke them to our Lord, which is what it's always been in Latin. But in English, somehow we, we lost that sense of identification with this, with the centurion. So we're going to see a lot more opportunities now that when we're praying the mass that we're actually going to be able to bring together some of that stuff we don't separate scripture from uh, this is my bible study over here that's separate than my mass they're the same exactly they're the same they come from the same wellspring now what do we say to folks that are saying things like you know i've been doing this for you know 40 or 50 years and i don't really want to change anymore and why do we need all this cuz we're talking about a significant number of changes this is not going to be just 5 or 10 Things. This is uh, we're talking several hundred different things are being said differently, and so a lot of people are just resistant to change a little bit. What do we? How do we counsel them, Father? Well, I think first of all, the changes that affect the people are not that many. Most of the changes affect the work, the words that the priest will be saying through mass. But uh, you know, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Um, it is. Uh, words like that be words in the glory of the mass glory to God in the highest and in the creed those will be the the parts that affect the people the holy 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 but they're not that many and uh, change is good change leads to conversion you know the Lord talks about metanoia yeah he talks about you know we have to change and sometimes maybe we get too comfortable with things and we need to be challenged a bit well, that goes back to our Catholic teaching on the assurance of salvation, why we don't consider ourselves assured that we are saved, that because we said this prayer, this sinner's prayer, we're going to heaven, because we've always got to have that continuing conversion, as John Paul II talked about, to the day we die, we're ever growing closer to God, and we have that opportunity all through our entire life. And so this is another opportunity, so the change should be welcomed in that, in that regard, shouldn't it? It certainly should be. Well, do, do you think that, uh, uh, you know, this is pretty close on the heels, in the in the church's view, uh, on the, the very uh, robust changes that were made at Vatican II? And I know some people that were uh, uh, people that were went to Mass before Vatican II and remember it well, and then remember the, the sort of changes that took place then and what we have now. And some of them are saying, I don't know if we want to go through uh, can the church handle this? I think the church can handle it. You know, we 
you know, we we tend to always resist change. You know, we get a new car. It's not like our old car. We move into a new house. It's not like our old house. But once we become familiar with it, it it's uh, we like it better. And and that's the way I feel that we'll be with the new translation. We'll like it better once we get used to it. Well, plus one of the things I, I always remember is that when you uh, when you change, when you do something differently, it actually causes you to refocus on what you're doing. It does. It causes you to say, well, the church has asked me to say these different words. Why, why is Mother Church saying, say it this way? And so maybe that causes you a little internal conversion there to kind of figure out what's going on and why we would say words differently. But maybe we'll pay attention more as we as we as we are in mass rather than read the bulletin, etc. It's a worship of God. It's not what I'm comfortable with. This is not a private devotion. This is the the church praying. This is the church praying, and we all pray together, and we should do it as the best we can. With the using the best language we can, uh, uh, participating in the best way we can, and uh, using uh, the imagination is important, and uh, God gave us imagination. And if if something can inspire us, and our imagination catches on, for instance, in the words of the centurion, if I look back to that man in front of our Lord saying, "I'm not worthy to have you under my roof." And I think I'm not worthy to have him under my roof either. And yet, uh, you know, this is Christ coming to me, and I'm saying that to Christ now. We we need those kinds of uh, uh, we need that work of imagination in our prayer life. And hopefully, with these changes, more people will be inspired. More people will have the opportunity to re-examine their relationship to Jesus Christ, their relationship to the church and their um, ongoing opportunity to know more about Jesus and to grow in love uh, with Jesus and to then spread that to the four corners of the earth as we're called at the end of Mass, Ite Misa Est, to, to be sent. Go and be sent. Yes, to be sent. Wonderful. Well, hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully people will now uh, uh, pay a little more attention as the words are spoken and maybe look into this and visit that website we were telling you about, usccb.org, to find out more about these changes. But also uh, just with that welcoming spirit that we're known to be as Catholics, to welcome uh, the change in this this gift of the liturgy, the public work of the church uh, as as it comes to us uh, soon. All right, thank you, uh, Monsignor, for this uh, wonderful presentation. My pleasure to be with you. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of liturgy, especially Holy Mass, a time when heaven meets earth, and we can truly come into communion with you. Help us to see the beauty of the Church's prayer, and help us to treat the liturgy with the respect and reverence it truly deserves. We ask this through Christ our Lord, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.